Well, good morning. It's great to see you. Glad you're with us. Uh, if you're a new guest or a recent guest, we're really glad you're here and hope everybody here feels welcome uh, to be here and a part of our community. Uh, before I get into the sermon in our new series in the book of Ecclesiastes, I wanted to make a, a, just a short announcement, if you'll allow me that. Uh, this afternoon, uh, we're going to be opening up nominations for our next group of leaders here at Christ Central. And so I'm really excited about this. Uh, I'm, I'm hopeful we're in need of adding new leaders in our church. And, and so our plan is to take nominations uh, starting today over the next two weeks uh, and then equip and train and then elect men unto elder role or unto the session or unto the diaconate committee and elect women unto the Women's Leadership Council or unto the diaconate committee. And so we've created a fairly lengthy questionnaire and form for all of you to fill out in order to nominate somebody that you know. Uh, there's a couple things to clarify as an email will go out here today uh, with the nomination form. The first is that you are nominating a person in general, not to a particular role. That's important. The pastors, the current leadership team, and the person who's nominated will pray and discern about which role best fits them. Second thing is you've got to be a member of Christ Central in order to nominate somebody. The third is that you cannot nominate yourself or a family member. And then lastly is that you're limited, each person is limited to only being able to nominate two men and two women each. And, and so as you fill out the questionnaire, you're going to see that there's a lot of knowledge required of the person in order to nominate that person in good conscience. And so if you're a member here, this is a big responsibility uh, for, for all of us to nominate gifted people. Uh, and if you're here and uh, maybe the Lord is calling you to step into a, a role, this is a great opportunity for you to seek and discern if God is calling you to do that. So be on the lookout for an email with the link to the nomination form. We're going to leave it open again for two weeks, starting today for the next two weeks. Um, and we're excited about how God's going to provide in this way. So we are beginning, as Aaron said, this new series in the book of Ecclesiastes, the Old Testament book titled Chasing Meaning. Uh, and I've got to tell you, uh, I'm a little bit anxious uh, as we get in uh, to this book. Many churches avoid preaching through Ecclesiastes. Many scholars have avoided writing commentaries on Ecclesiastes. It is not an easy book to grasp at first read or even at tenth read. Uh, it, it is part of the wisdom genre in the Bible, uh, along with Proverbs and the Song of Solomon. And so if you're familiar at all with the Bible, maybe you feel comfortable reading Old Testament narrative or maybe New Testament gospels, maybe even New Testament Pauline letters. But wisdom literature, especially Ecclesiastes, can leave us feeling confused, asking how in the world do we interpret this book? And so we can just skip right over it. Now, more than anything, I'm very, very excited about preaching through this book, personally and for us as a community, because I'm not sure there is a better book in the Bible to spend time in for our present culture and the world in which we live. I believe that. Herman Melville, the author of Moby Dick, called Ecclesiastes the truest of all books. Not just the truest book in the Bible, but the truest of all books. And we're going to see why. Because the author of Ecclesiastes hides nothing, pours out his soul in full transparency. Now, before we jump into chapter 1, we've got to ask a couple of questions to set up this book. Who is this book for? 
Who's this book for? As I said, this book is one of the best books for our present time. And because of that, it is for the thoughtful. This is for people who are willing to ask hard questions. This is for those who are not content with pat Sunday school answers. It is for the skeptic. One commentator said that Ecclesiastes is kind of a back door that allows believers to have the sad and skeptical thoughts that we usually don't allow to enter the front door of our faith. Ecclesiastes is also for the bored and the weary. It is for those who are honest about the, the drudgery of work, the dissatisfaction of foolish pleasure. It is for those who feel like they are just running the treadmill of life, for those who kind of feel like life is it's like the rainbow wheel on your Mac computer. It's just spinning. Life just spins. Well, who wrote this book of wisdom? It's written by a poet. It's written by a philosopher king known in Hebrew as Kohelet, which means teacher or preacher. Now, some people think that Kohelet is Solomon because of the first verse of Ecclesiastes that says the son of David, king in Jerusalem. But I like what J.I. Packer said. J.I. Packer said, whether it is Solomon or not, it teaches us lessons that Solomon had unique opportunities to learn. Because it is clear that Kohelet is not an 18-year-old undergraduate student pontificating about the meaning of life. Sorry, undergrad students. That Kohelet, if not Solomon, speaks in the voice of Solomon, who was the wisest, smartest, richest, sexiest, most successful man around. So Kohelet, our teacher-preacher for the next few months, chased everything in this life and lived to tell about it. He is the most extraordinary person, way better than the Dos Equis man. Right? <laughs> Climbed every mountain that we could ever think of climbing, the mountain of successful work, the mountain of riches, the mountain of pleasure, the mountain of power, and he has come back down the mountain to tell us how it all went. So let me give you a, a heads up. Kohelet holds no punches. He may even seem to be a little ornery. Some think he's a pessimist. But I would say he's not a pessimist, he's just a realist. And what he is doing in this book is throwing a cup of cold water in our face. He's landing punches in our back to wake us up to the realities of life. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And this is God's word to us this morning. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before. There is no remembrance of former things, 
nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Isaiah tells us that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Let's pray together. Lord, we bow humbly to listen to this wisdom. Lord, we bow and we ask that you would speak to us, that our minds would be engaged, our ears would be opened, our hearts willing to be convicted, our lives willing to be transformed. Would you do that, Holy Spirit, because you alone hold the power to do that. And so we pray, Spirit of God, that you would speak to our spirits, that that we might hear you, we might encounter you, and we might be changed. Would you bless your word, which is living and active. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You can have a seat. Well, one of my favorite things to do these days is to eavesdrop on my two oldest kids when they're playing pretend or make-believe. I love when my oldest kids use their imaginations. They want to be a chef. They want to pretend to be a cheetah. They want to pretend to be a professional football player. As a person gets older, learning the real world versus the pretend world can be confusing and difficult. As a child, you might pretend to be a professional football player and dive across the goal line to score the winning touchdown. But playing in a real football game and having somebody that's 225 pounds hit you at full speed, it's a different ball game. As a child, you might pretend to be a doctor and heal the pain. But in a real hospital, it's not pretend pain. It's rather actual pain that the doctors can't just take away. In a real world, pain hurts. Broken relationships are not quick to heal and tears that are shed are not always easily dried up. So we get older, we begin to realize that we do live in a real world. But, and this is a big but, we still try to live in a pretend world. We attempt to fool ourselves, we pretend, we fantasize that if I can just find Mr. or Miss Wright, if I can just get a better job, if I can just make more money. And what Ecclesiastes is doing is blowing up our make-believe games, our pretend world of thinking. Our teacher, preacher, Kohelet, is telling us, I've chased all of this. I've climbed to the peak of any fantasy you can dream of, and I've come back down the mountain to tell you, don't chase the fantasy. Don't play pretend. Over the next three months, we're going to be taught how to live in this real world with wisdom. So we're going to look at the first 11 verses that I just read this morning. And the first point that I want to make and that we see is that there is an honest complaint and an honest question. An honest complaint and an honest question in verses 2 to 3. Verse 2 is the honest complaint. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Now, some of your translations might say meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. But I think that translation is an overstatement. I think it's inaccurate. Kohelet is not saying there's no meaning in this life. We're going to see throughout this book that he does think there is. Now, the word here translated vanity in our version is the Hebrew word hevel. And this is an extremely important word in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's used 38 times 
Hevel, vanity, vain, empty, futile. And it means that, but I think it means more than just that. I think a better translation of this word hevel is vapor or breath or smoke. Eugene Peterson translates this verse, smoke, nothing but smoke. There's nothing to anything. It's all smoke. Now think about smoke. I love candles. I love lighting a candle. We, we often burn candles in our home. You blow a candle out and the smoke comes and you try to grasp it. You can't grasp, uh, you can't grasp the smoke and the smoke quickly goes away. Right? Smoke is elusive. It can't be grasped and it's short-lived. That's why I like smoke as a translation because all is hevel, all is smoke. Pleasure, success, power, intellectual pursuits, smoke. Chase it, pursue it, but you'll not be able to grasp it completely. You will always want more. And if you taste it for a moment, it will be gone in the next. It's short-lived. See, we play pretend. Make believe by chasing certain things, thinking that we have control of our lives. And if we're honest, we know you can pour your whole life into something and it might succeed and it might fail. You might get a great new job one day and be fired the next. You might be healthy and in shape today, but diagnosed with cancer tomorrow. We build our lives on sand thinking that it's granite working, striving, chasing, toiling, but the tides of life can come rushing in and wash away our sandcastles. We pretend we have control, but things happen in this life that wake us up to the reality. We're not in control. We've just been pretending all along because all of life is smoke. That's the honest complaint that the teacher gives us. And there's an honest question that follows in verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? It's a rhetorical question, but it does reveal the thing that we're pursuing or chasing in this life. Look at the question again. What does man gain? We spend our lives trying to gain in whatever mountain we're trying to climb, gaining money, gaining success, gaining power, gaining pleasure, gaining impact, gaining by all of our toil. I love that word, toil. All of our grinding, all of the spinning of our wills, trying to gain here on earth under the sun. Kohelet wants us to examine our lives. What have we gained from the way we've lived our lives? What have we really gained by all the things that we have spent time chasing and toiling after. And the answer to this question, verse 3, comes in verses 4 to 8. And this is my second point. There's a painful answer. The implied answer to the question, what does man gain for all the toil under the sun, is nothing. Nothing. That hurts, doesn't it? That's cold water in the face. That's a punch in the back. What do you gain from all of your toiling and chasing? Nothing. And the answer comes in the form of a poem. Look at verses 4 through 8. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. 
At the end of your life, what will you leave behind? What lasts after all of our effort and all of our toiling? The earth. That's it. Nothing we've gained will last. A generation comes and goes. The earth remains. Everything is smoke. And then the teacher gives a pattern of nature that matches the pattern of our human experience. Look at verses 5 through 8. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north and around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. The point is that life is repetitive. Life is monotonous. We wake up, we live our day, we go to bed, and we wake up and we do it all over again, just like the sun. The wind blows south and around north and comes back on its circuit. Life is just a cycle. We're just blowing in the wind. The streams run into the sea and they're never, and the sea is never full over and over and over. Doesn't life feel like this sometimes? work. It's just the same old, same old. And this week is full of changing dirty diapers, just like last week. The desire for friendships to be better than they were before is the same desire this week as it was before. The challenges that were last week still remain today. This is the real world. And sometimes it feels like the old Bill Murray movie, Groundhog Day. Life just repeats the same day over and over and over. In verses 9 through 10, Kohelet splashes another cup of cold water in our face by telling us that because this is the reality, this kind of monotony and cycle, what people try to do to break up this constant repetitive cycle of life is to look for something new. It says there's nothing new under the sun. Verses 10 is there a thing which it has said, see, this is new? It's already been. Now, don't let this pass by. This might possibly be the most relevant verse for you. It's probably the most relevant verse for me. Because this is what happens in life. Life gets hard. Work gets boring. School gets boring. Work, school becomes drudgery. Marriage can lose its fire. And we think that we need a jolt of something new to bring excitement into our life. And so we're tempted to chase after the new, the new job, right? the new boyfriend or girlfriend, the new house, the new city to live in, the new vacation to go on, the new hobby to take up. You name it, we chase it. To fool ourselves into thinking that life's not repetitive. In doing so, we're just playing make-believe. We're pretending because life is like the sun. It rises and it sets, it rises and it sets, and there's nothing new under the sun. Now, the teacher is not saying there's no innovation. So calm down, all you startup entrepreneurial people. Not saying there's no innovation, all you creatives in here, right? He's just saying that there's nothing new that we can come up with to make life not feel repetitive, that it's all been tried before in the ages past. Now, maybe you're getting depressed so far by this sermon. I told you, Kohelet isn't giving us Christian cliches. He is trying to wake us up to be a realist, to be honest, 
to stop fooling ourselves by playing make-believe. Well, the third point that I want to make is that we're given a proper perspective on how to live. And the way we're to live in this world is described in verse 11. Look at verse 11. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Pointedly, you will die. I will die and no one will remember you. If you weren't depressed before, (laughs) maybe you are now. But don't let it take you there. Because this is actually the key to living wisely in this world. When I meet with a couple to do premarital counseling, after our first meeting, I ask them to go home between the first and second meeting and to to not discuss, to go separately and come up with their individual lists of expectations as they head into marriage. And so they'll come back with a list of expectations. Things like, I expect to eat dinner at least three times a week together. I expect us to split the chores around the house. I expect us to have at least a child in our first three years, maybe two by year five. I expect us to travel once, at least once every six months together. I expect us to pray together every night before we go to bed. Now, I do this because unmet expectations is what causes unhappiness in marriage. And if everyone brings, uh, which is, this is the truth, everybody brings expectations into their marriage, everybody, spoken or unspoken. So if I can get the couple to understand that we all have expectations and, and that their spouse will not meet their expectations, I am giving them, in my view, a proper perspective to begin their marriage and hopefully some counsel toward a happy marriage. One of my favorite singer-songwriters, he's now older, is David Wilcox. He's got a great song titled, Start With The Ending. And this is what he sings. He's singing about marriage. He says, the secret of a happy marriage, maybe you should write this down. You want to keep a love together? The best way is to end it now. When you both know it's over, suddenly the truth comes out. You can talk about your secret passion. You can talk about your restless doubt. When there's no pretending, then the truth is safe to say. Start with the ending Get it out of the way. After all the expectations shatter on the kitchen floor, you just see another human suffering and wonder what the war was for. When there's no pretending, then the truth is safe to say. Start with the ending. Get it out of the way. It's a song about how to live a happy marriage. To start with what you come to know at the end of marriage, which is you will not meet all expectations and there will be disappointments and sufferings. And if you can start that way, It prepares you to live well together. You can actually enjoy one another for who the other is. You can enjoy the monotony and even the suffering and fighting that comes along in marriage. This is what Kohelet is saying to us about living life in this world. We all have expectations for our lives. I expect to go to this school. I expect to get into this grad school. I expect my career to look a certain way. I expect my marriage to look a certain way. I expect to get married by a certain age. I expect to be making this much money by the time I'm 40. I expect to be having this much impact in my city. I expect my marriage and family and children to look and appear a certain way. I expect to retire at a certain age with this much money in my retirement account. And Kohelet 
is trying to get us to wake up that in this life, all of our expectations will be unmet. And instead of living unhappily, chasing after this thing and the next to help us live this life, the way that we reset our expectations and live happily in this life is to know that we will die. You will die, I will die. Maybe you're like, man, depressed now, it's morbid. No, actually having a proper perspective that the one certain thing in this life is that we will die is what allows us to live happily in our present life. To reference one more singer, the country star Tim McGraw, Kohelet is teaching us to live like you are dying. That death is the great balloon popper of expectations. Death is the one thing that makes us wake up that we live in a real world, not a pretend world. Because death visits the millionaire's door and the homeless person's door. Death visits the old and the young. Death visits the in shape and the out of shape. Death visits the male and the female. Death visits the Iranian and the American. One of my favorite places to spend time in is a graveyard. One of my mentors from college placed a love of the graveyard in my heart. He and I would often spend time together in Auburn University sitting and talking and praying in, in this graveyard. And I think the main reason I love it is that it gives proper perspective. It's not that I love being among the dead. It's the reality that death is coming. So live in the present knowing that's true. So we're being taught here Psalm 90 verse 12. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. See, wisdom what Kohelet is trying to lead us toward. To live wisely in this world, death gives us proper perspective so that we do not chase after the illusion of control by climbing the mountain of the perfect career or the perfect partner or pleasure or money. Because even if we obtain and taste something for a moment, it will be gone the next. And if we think we gain, we don't. The proper perspective of death being the one certain thing in life leads us to what Kohelet says at the end of this book. And it's what we're going to learn throughout our time in Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 13, that the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Fear God and obey God. That is what we're called to do every day he gives us. Life under the sun ends in death. And knowing this will actually cause us to live with our lives over the sun and our eyes over the sun, our eyes on God who rules over all things. To fear God, to know that he is the one who has created us, he's made us, he's placed us right where we are. We become more aware of his presence always with us. We become in awe of who he is and his transcendence and majesty and holiness. To fear God is the way to wisdom. To walk with God, to obey God is the way that we enjoy life. Instead of chasing after, we realize we not, need not even enter the chase, but enjoy what's in front of us while we keep our eyes above the sun on God. See, there is purpose and meaning in this life. All is not meaningless. The God who exists over the sun is orchestrating all things for our good and for his glory. 
And the Father sent the Son to live, die, and rise again and is promised to come so that we who believe and trust in him might have everlasting life, life eternal. So we need not fear death, and we know that death has lost its sting. So we can actually allow death to lead us to live in the present, to seek a kingdom that is coming, a kingdom that cannot be shaken rather than the, the kingdoms of our own choosing. We store up treasures in heaven, not here on earth. Death is coming. It puts our relationships in proper perspective. It puts money, power, justice, sexuality, marriage, all things in proper perspective because of Christ and his kingdom. We can enjoy those moments that come. There are moments of joy in, in our lives. And so we can enjoy our relationships and work and marriage and pleasure and money, not because we're chasing them to play pretend and to escape the real world, but rather because we're living in the real world and we're seeing all things as a gift from the Lord, we can enjoy them, even, especially, the monotony of life. We need not pretend and play make-believe like my children. We need to pretend by trying to get into that perfect grad school. We need to pretend by changing jobs. We don't need to pretend by buying a new home. We don't need to pretend by making more money. We don't need to pretend by looking for the perfect marriage. Pretend by believing that if we get through this week of laundry and dirty diapers, next week's going to somehow be quieter. But we need to pretend by seeking church growth and getting a church to a certain size. We need to pretend by preventing ourselves from experiencing the ordinariness of life. So pretending we're in control and chasing what we expect to be the ideal life is not, why I, is not living wisely in this world. We, we rather must live in this real world with wisdom. In the real world, life is hard. Pain is real, tears are shed. Life can be drudgery, life can feel repetitive, and our God is in control. He is in control, he's good, he's loving, and nothing can separate us from him. And so he rules in the ups and the downs. He rules as the sun rises and the sun sets. So living with our eyes over the sun with death in view enables us to enjoy the moments enables us at times to live without anxiety. It enables us to not even feel like we need to enter the chase, to live without despising the treadmill of life. Each day, we can live fearing God and keeping his commandments. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would enable us, one, to be so honest as Kohelet, to not be... Uh, just giving pat answers. Lord, I love this honesty because life is, is often this. It, is, it feels like smoke. It feels like there is no gain. But Lord, death, it, it's, it's not morbid. It, it puts into perspective how we are to live in this present life. And thank you, Jesus, that death has lost its sting because of what you have done, that we will inherit life forever and a kingdom is coming that can never be shaken that will last forever and ever. So Lord, enable us each day to enjoy the moments. Enable us each day to, to see how the things we're engaging in do matter if they're pointed to you and to your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.